scripture reading this morning will come from the book of Psalms 27 verses 1 through 6. It's Psalms 27, 1 through 6. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me, he shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted above my enemies all around me, therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. This morning I want to take us to the, uh, is that picking me up when I walk away? Okay, I wasn't sure. This thing hates me, so. This morning what I want to do is I want to take us to one of the most well-known stories in all of Scripture. To one of the stories that, that we associate with children's classes and just take a look at it again. For us, David and Goliath is one of those stories that we study when we're kids. It's one of the first Bible stories that we learn. And so we often associate the story of David and Goliath with elementary teachings. But I believe there's more to David and Goliath than just elementary education. And so this morning what we're going to do is, is we're going to re-examine this story and apply it to adulthood. We're going to look at it through a different lens, hopefully, and, and, and as a result potentially uncover a deeper meaning to the story for us today. See, it might just be that the story of David and Goliath is more relevant to your life right now than it ever has been. Because now, in adulthood, don't you find yourself facing giants? Some of us are facing real giants in our lives, like the physical battle with a medical condition. Some of us are facing real giants like the emotional battle with losing a loved one. Some of us are facing the financial battle of getting out of debt. Some are facing the relational battle of a struggling marriage. And others are facing the mental battle of forgiving themselves for something in their past. You see, the story of David and Goliath and this, this story that has this enduring lesson about faith and, and about overcoming obstacles, it may just be more relevant in adulthood when we're dealing with cholesterol levels and mortgage payments and occupational responsibilities and economic troubles. It may just be 
more relevant as we grow older and inherit more responsibilities. And there's something that we can learn from a shepherd that stood up in the midst of a group of soldiers and said, in effect, the battle belongs to the Lord. So journey with me this morning through the story of David and Goliath once again. And let's see how this story relates to our lives today. Because we all face giants. But how do we face giants? What should we learn from this particular story about facing giants? I want to begin with this thought. When it comes to facing giants, we must not be intimidated by appearances. We must not be intimidated by appearances. Now, look here in the text, 1 Samuel chapter 17. I want you to begin reading with me uh, in verse 4, and we'll go through verse 7. In the first three verses, we learn that the Philistine army and the Israelite army have drawn up battle lines. They are opposing one another on different sides of a valley, ready to go to war. And then in verse 4 of 1 Samuel chapter 17, here's what we read. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. Now, when you read that text, uh, there's a lot of uh, measurements involved, and those measurements don't exactly translate to us in our English-speaking society. But the basic concept that you should take away from this description of Goliath here at the start of 1 Samuel 17 is that he was an imposing figure. He was an intimidating figure. Goliath, when he walked out and issued this challenge to the Israelites, it was indeed scary for them. Now here's what we learn about Goliath. We learn that his physique was intimidating. Most of our biblical translations maintain the Hebrew language in its description of Goliath. And so we rely on footnotes or study notes to understand what the measurements in this text mean. So let's put this description in our own language. Goliath was around nine foot, nine inches tall. That's almost two of me. Goliath was indeed a giant. Now, nine foot, nine inches tall. We know that's tall, but we don't usually see somebody in that height arena. In the NBA, one of the tallest players currently in the NBA is about seven foot four inches tall. Now, that's tall, but that's still almost two and a half feet shorter than Goliath. Goliath could have shot free throws like Shaq. Goliath could have been unable to shoot the basketball like any player ever before, and still he would be the first draft in the NBA 
in the NBA draft, a lottery, he'd be the first pick simply because he was nine foot nine inches tall. His head would almost block the rim. Put that in perspective, nine foot nine inches tall. The tallest man by Guinness Book, World, Guinness Book of World Records was a man named Robert Wadlow, and he only stood eight foot three inches tall. Now, that's in recorded history outside of the Bible. That's the secular standard of the tallest man. The tallest living man right now, I believe, is only, uh, oh, I've got to find it, eight foot, oh, is only eight foot three inches. Robert Wadlow, who was the tallest man in recorded history, was eight foot ten, still almost a foot shy of Goliath. My whole point is Goliath's stature was imposing. It provided, it provided him with a natural offensive ability as well as a defensive advantage. His size likely re resulted in a longer reach. His size likely resulted in greater strength. His size likely made it more difficult for smaller opponents to strike devastating blows to his weak points, such as his head. Goliath provided an intimidating presence. That's not new to you. But it's not just his physique that was intimidating. His experience was intimidating as well. Did you notice the nickname he had? It appears there in verse 4. He is referred to as a champion. The Hebrew term from which this title is derived literally means the man in between. It's a reference to the one-on-one -on -one style of combat in which he engaged and in which we'll talk, about, we'll talk about more in just a moment. So the title of champion was an indicator of the Philistines' confidence in him. They were confident that if Goliath went out to battle against anyone, anywhere, anytime, he would be victorious. He was their champion. They had no worries about their military strategy because they had Goliath. This indicates that not only was Goliath a big, imposing figure, but he was a well-trained and skilled warrior. We need not overlook the fact that Goliath is not just big, he is experienced. He knows what he's doing on the battlefield. He knows how to fight. So Goliath's physique is imposing, Goliath's experience is imposing, and so is his equipment. He is arrayed in the best armor, equipped with multiple weapons. And here's what we know about his equipment. He was covered in metal armor, essentially from his head to his toes. He wore a helmet that protected his head and a coat of mail that protected his torso, and essentially bronze knee and shin guards that are sometimes referred to as greaves. This body armor, body armor alone, weighed at least 126 pounds based solely on the weight of his 5,000 shekel coat of mail. He is just strutting out there with 126 pounds covering his body, not counting his own weight, not counting the weapons he has to carry as well. 
That gives us some insight into his strength, but also, more importantly to the point, it's giving us insight into how well equipped he is. For weaponry, he carried a bronze javelin on his back as well as a spear whose iron point weighed 15 pounds. Just the head of the spear weighed 15 pounds. Now that term translated javelin may also be a reference to a type of curved sword, which would make more sense since a javelin and a spear are basically the same weapon. And also, since we know that Goliath possessed a sword that David would later use to chop off his head. So we know he's got a spear, and we know he's got a second weapon that is, in some translations, referred to as a javelin, but could also be a reference to a type of sword. He's got multiple weapons at his disposal, one that could be used at a long distance, one at a short distance. And in addition to that... He's got a personal shield bearer who walks ahead of him. He doesn't have to carry his own shield for protection. He gets somebody to do that for him. That gives him more flexibility, more more opportunity to be offensive and not just defensive. Goliath is well equipped. Goliath is experienced. And Goliath is big. His presence alone with all of his equipment and with the awareness of his ability would be intimidating. You know, oftentimes the giants in our lives look very imposing. Oftentimes the giants we face are very intimidating based on their appearance. They look invincible. We see those giants in our lives and we think there's no way we can tackle that giant. And we often feel and even act defeated before the battle ever begins. And the problem is that we look at our giants through human eyes and we never see them through God's eyes. Or to say the same thing using the language of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, we have a tendency to walk by sight when we should be walking by faith. You see, when the Israelites looked at Goliath, they saw someone who can't be beaten. But that wasn't the case with David as we'll see in just a moment. And it's very interesting to me that this battle with this giant occurs just one chapter, just one chapter after the anointing of David. And if you remember the anointing of David back in 1 Samuel chapter 16, the big issue there was Samuel's ability to see with God's eyes. Because when he went to anoint the next king of Israel, they focused on all the elder brothers of David. Didn't even invite David to the anointing party, if you will. Because he just didn't look the part. 
And it's as if, as, as the Israelites stand before this giant, God is saying, don't you remember what I'm trying to teach you about looking at outward appearance? Don't you remember what I just did? It's as if David's own experience of being anointed as king is equipping him to take on the giant. Goliath may have had the edge on physical strength, on experience, and on equipment. But David had the advantage when it came to faith, to what really mattered. So when we face the giants in our lives, we need to look to the story of David and we need to remember that the appearance is not what matters. What matters is the substance, the substance of faith. You may be facing a giant right now that intimidates you, that is so imposing that you think it's invisible, in, invincible. But like David... It's not what's on the outside that will defeat the giant. It's what's on the inside. So when it comes to facing giants, we must not be intimidated by appearances. And when it comes to facing giants, we must also remember that we're not alone. Turn back to 1 Samuel 17. Look back there with me. And beginning in verse 8, this is what we're told. We're told that Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now the main thing we notice here in this section of the text is that Goliath proposes a particular battle tactic. He's proposing what is called representative fighting. What this means is that one representative of the nation of uh, uh, the Philistine army and one representative of the Israelite army will battle one another one-on-one, -on -one, and whoever is victorious is the victor for his army and his nation, for that matter. Whoever loses, loses for his army and his nation. The loser's side of the battle would have to immediately surrender. So this representative style of fighting is very tricky. I imagine that the nation of Israel would give it a go if they still had Samson around. If they had him to send out there, if they had Samson, the strongest man to walk the earth, if they had him, I imagine they'd be willing to give this a shot. But they didn't have Samson. And it's no wonder that nobody volunteered to face Goliath. Because this representative style of fighting, it's a lot of pressure. 
the fate of an entire army and an entire nation is resting on that one individual. If you volunteered for this, you would essentially be walking onto the battlefield all by yourself, all alone. All the pressure's on you. If you're victorious, you get all the credit, but more importantly, if you lose, you get all the blame. You ever been in that position before? If this is a success, I'll reap the praises, but if this fails, everybody's going to blame me. That's why nobody wants this task. That's why nobody wants to face Goliath. Sometimes it just feels when the giants are in your life, it just feels like you're all alone, that there's no help in sight. We need to remember that the most repeated command in all of Scripture is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Of all the commands that we receive in Scripture, this one is repeated more often than any other. And the point of it is to remember that God is always on our side, even if nobody else is. I want you to notice what's said in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, we are reminded of this biblical truth that the man or woman of God always has God's promise of being there for them. At the second half of verse 5 in Hebrews chapter 13, the text says, He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? In the story of David and Goliath, that's the mindset of David. Goliath is inviting one individual to come out there. Face me by yourself. But David knew that when he walked out on that battlefield, he would not be alone. There may not be another soldier on the field with him. There may not be anybody out there holding his shield. There may not be anybody in there having his back. But he knows that God will be with him. Because God had promised that. And you notice that Goliath didn't just offer this one-on-one -on -one combat one time. If you look at verse 16 of 1 Samuel 17, you'll find out that Goliath came out for 30 days, morning and evening, calling on Israel to send somebody out to fight him. For an entire month, the Israelites looked at this situation as a one-on-one -on -one battle. For an entire month. And you know what? Our giants do the same thing. They rear their ugly heads time and time again. They don't just challenge us once. They come back and they challenge us day after day relentlessly, 
trying to intimidate us and cause us to give up. And the only way to defeat them is to start by realizing you are not alone in the battle. The Lord is on your side, as we read in Psalm 27 just a moment ago. So when it comes to facing giants, we must remember that we're not alone. That we have the Lord on our side. A third thing we can learn from the story of David and Goliath about facing giants is that when it comes to giants, we must focus on the real enemy. I want you to see what happened when David arrived at the army's encampment. We've already noted that he heard Goliath's challenge. And when he heard that challenge, he actually inquired, according to verse 26, he inquired, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Some soldiers informed him, according to verse 25, that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. There is an upside to taking on Goliath. And obviously, King Saul has commissioned these blessings on whoever will face and defeat Goliath because he's desperate to find somebody to do it. And so he's, he's willing to offer up riches and, and offer up fame and power for the one who will defeat Goliath. But I want you to notice what David's brother does here. You see it in verse 27. Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. See, Eliab, Eliab treats David pretty harshly here. Eliab sees David as just this little boy who came out to watch a battle and is just getting in the way. And Eliab mistreats David. Eliab is critical of David. Eliab created a situation in which David's focus could have been taken off of Goliath and placed on him. But David showed great restraint here. He, he would not let himself be lured into a secondary battle of unimportance. He kept his focus on the real enemy. I think that's important to acknowledge here. Because when we face giants in our lives, things happen that have a tendency to try to pull, pull our attention away from the real giant and place it on somebody or something else. You ever had that happen to you? Maybe, maybe you're facing the giant of medical treatments when all of a sudden family drama rears its ugly head and now you're having to deal with certain people and certain statements and certain frustrations. 
Or maybe you're grieving the loss of a loved one when a conflict arises at work. And that has the ability to take your attention off of the giant you're trying to deal with in the moment. When these side battles arise, they have the ability to so discourage us and to so deplete us that we abandon our faith altogether. See, what happens when we're facing a giant and another battle arises, we start to assume that we can't handle anymore. And if we don't keep that mentality in check, we may even draw the conclusion that God is working against us instead of with us and for us. The side battles can distract us from the real enemy. And I want you to hear the words of James chapter 1, verses 12 through 17 this morning. When those moments arise that you're facing a giant and another battle tries to interrupt, and you find yourself not focusing on the battle in front of you, but instead at times weakening your faith and questioning God, remember these words. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. James calls for endurance in the face of difficulty, not retreat. James calls for confidence in God in the face of adversity, not blame. James calls for us to not let our circumstances dictate what we think about God. Instead, James is calling for us to re re realize that in all situations, God is still the giver of every good gift. See, we have to keep our focus on the real enemy. Scripture repeatedly de declares that Satan is that real enemy, the father of lies, the prince of the power of the air, the one who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Never cast blame on God for something that comes from Satan. Realize who the true enemy is and keep your focus on battling him. When it comes to facing giants, we must focus on the real enemy and not get lured into a battle of faith with God. Another thing I notice in this story of David and Goliath that applies to facing giants is that when it comes to facing giants, we must recall God's victories. When David volunteered to take on Goliath, look at Saul's 
initial reaction. It's recorded in verse 32 and 33. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, because of Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. David volunteers and Saul points out all of David's inadequacies. You're too young. You're too inexperienced. You're too under-equipped. While Saul was focused on David's inadequacies, David was focused on God's victories. Because look at what David says in verse 34. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck, and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. See, David's confidence to battle Goliath was not in himself. David was well aware of his inadequacies. David even acknowledges that when he took out a bear and he took out a lion, it wasn't because he was the most manly man on the face of the earth. It's because God delivered them into his hand. David knows that David isn't cut out for this. But David knows that God is. And in the face of a situation that could be so scary, David took a moment and reflected on what God had done for him in the past to give him the courage to take a step in the future. You know, when, when giants arise, many of us respond like Saul and the Israelites rather than David. We forget the past. At this point in Israelite history, they should have looked back to the ten plagues. They should have looked back to the Red Sea. They should have looked back to the city of Jericho. And they should have said, God's got this. God gave us victory over the Egyptians. God gave us victory over the city of Jericho. God has delivered this land into our hands. God's got this. But the Israelites failed to practice their memory work. I want you to notice what Moses told the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 17 through 19. Moses said, If you say in your heart, These nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. The great trials that your eyes saw. The signs, the wonders, the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. So will the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. In other words, Moses told the Israelites, don't ever forget what God did. Because there's going to be moments when you're afraid, and there's going to be moments when you're intimidated, and there's going to be moments when you think you can't move forward. But just remember how God got you past each and every obstacle 
up until now. Don't forget the giants that God has already defeated for you. And just like the Israelites, we're at a point in our lives where we should be able to look back to the blessings and the answered prayers and the successes that God has granted us. And the remembrance of those things should squash our fears that arise in the present or the future. I believe that's the very reason Jesus told us, do not be anxious about your life in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. He said we should not be anxious because we can look to the birds and we can look to the flowers and we can see how God has cared for them. And since we are of more value than they, as Jesus indicated in Matthew 6.26, we can know that our God is going to take care of us as well. All too often we forget that what we know about God in the past should impact the way we face the future. And so when it comes to facing giants, recall God's victories. Recall God's victories from His Word. Recall God's victories from your life. Remember that God's got this. And finally, as we appeal to this story of David and Goliath, we learn that when it comes to facing giants, we must accept that with God, all things are possible. Look now at 1 Samuel chapter 17. Let's begin in verse 41. The Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give you your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give it into your hand, or excuse me, into our hand. See, all throughout this story, the Israelite army looked at Goliath and immediately thought, I can't. And all throughout this story, David looked at Goliath and thought, I can. What was the difference? You know, we have to remember, David arrived on the scene from the fields. David, David was apparently too young to be enlisted in the army like his older brother's. So David's not a member of the royal army. He's never received technical military training or combat training. He even has problems wearing Saul's armor, as we find out in verse 38 and 39 of this chapter. So what gave David such confidence to think, 
I can do this. As we've reiterated time and time again, his confidence was not in himself. It was in the Lord. See, when we face giants in our lives, we have to recall, we have to remember that we will not, they will not be defeated because we are greater than them. They will only be defeated by the one in whom we put our trust, the one that is greater than them. See, we need to remember this, that Scripture declares that all things are possible with God. When Sarah laughed after hearing God tell Abraham that she would bear him a child even though, she was 100, uh, even though Abraham was 100 and she was 90, God responded by saying, Is anything too hard for the Lord? When Jeremiah was in prison during the siege of Jerusalem and God instructed him to purchase his cousin's land, Jeremiah did what God asked of him even though it didn't make sense to buy land when the land was about to become Babylonian territory. But Jeremiah declared in Jeremiah 32 and verse 17, Nothing is too hard for you, O God. After Gabriel announced to Mary that she had been chosen by God to bear his son, Mary asked, How will this be since I am a virgin? And Gabriel explained how God would miraculously cause her conception just as he miraculously caused Elizabeth's in her old age. Then Gabriel declared, nothing will be impossible with God. And after Jesus said it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God, his disciples asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus responded by saying, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Practically speaking, we, we often don't believe this to be true, that all things are possible with God. And what ends up happening is we approach our giants with an I can't mentality. We say things like, I can't do this, or I can't do that, or, or I can't handle this anymore, or, or whatever. But we approach our giants with a defeatist mentality. And in such instances, we're like Moses standing before the burning bush saying, I can't speak. Or we're like Saul standing in the military camp saying, I can't wait on Samuel. Or we're like Elijah standing in the cave saying, I can't face Jezebel again. Or maybe we're even like Jonah standing on the docks saying, I can't go to Nineveh. The problem with an I can't mentality is that it focuses on the giant rather than on God. It's looking at God through the lens of the giant rather than looking at the giant through the lens of God. And what happens is we intentionally or unintentionally shrink God when we say I can't. Because Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13 declares that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. David refused to let God be shrunk, and so with confidence he stood before the giant and he declared, the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. Not because David was great, but because his God was. This morning, 
we dive into the story of David and Goliath because I know some of you are facing giants just like me. I know there are giants in our lives that are intimidating us, that are scaring us even. And we just don't know how we're going to face them anymore. I'm reminded of a story I heard from an author named Bruce Lawson who used to uh, do counseling in New York City. And he tells him in his books how he would go down to uh, Rockefeller Plaza, the Comcast building now, and he would show his patients the statue of Atlas outside that building. Atlas is this figure in Greek mythology who, who's depicted holding the world on his shoulders. He would show them the statue of Atlas, then he would take them across the street to the, cathed the cathedral that's there, and apparently there was a statue inside that cathedral that pictured Jesus holding the world in the palm of his hand. And he would compare those two statues, asking his patients this, which one depicts your life? Are you trying to bear the weight of the world on your own shoulders? Are you entrusting it to the hands of Jesus? That's really where we find ourselves right now. No matter what giant you're facing at this very moment, you've got to decide if you're going to bear it up on your own shoulders or you're going to turn it over to the hands of the Creator. Who's going to battle your giant for you? Are you going to do it on your own or are you going to do it with God? This morning, if you've got a giant in your life that you need to turn over to God, this morning, if you've got a giant in your life that you need the help of this congregation to go to God on your behalf in prayer, today, if you've got a giant in your life that you just can't seem to defeat, then turn it over to God. It may just be that today is Giant Killer Sunday. Because it might just be the day that we all need to turn over some giants and let God handle them. You know what the biggest giant in your life is, whether or not you realize it? It's sin. And it may be that you've never killed that giant, never slayed that giant in the blood of Jesus. That giant can be defeated right now by confessing your faith that Jesus Christ is the risen Son of God by, being, by re repenting of your sins and then being immersed in water for the forgiveness of those sins. Maybe that's the giant that you need to slay right now. I don't know what your giant is, but God does. And God's got a pretty good track record with giants. So won't you come bring him yours while together we stand and sing. I am resolved no longer to linger on by the world's
125, Do You Know My Jesus? <clears throat> Sing a few verses of this song uh, and have uh, brothers in front come up and speak to <clears throat> Have you a heart that's weary? to your encouragement and song this morning. Uh, first one, uh, Brother Kyle Rye, who just preached the sermon this morning. I think uh, uh, by his statement, he preached a subject that is very important uh, and is on his heart. Uh, he preached a sermon that uh, had uh, application to him, and I appreciate his willingness. Uh, you know, I've, I've been worshiping the Lord's Church all my life, and I've seen preachers respond before. I've never seen them respond after their own sermon which, and I didn't mean that to be funny, but I meant it to be something that's unique, and I think it's a reflection on the heart of Kyle. So I'm going to read his statement. Uh, Throughout 2020, I've battled with fear and worry continuously. Sometimes it's related to health, sometimes finances, sometimes completely unnecessary issues. But I've allowed my fear in, uh, to be debilitating at times. Today I want to uh, face that giant 
and uh, uh, turn it over to God and ask for your prayers to let him uh, to help me slay my giant. So uh, appreciate Kyle. Appreciate the tenderness of heart uh, to admit that you need God's help and that you need the help of those people around you. Second person uh, to respond this morning is John Iverson, Jr. And he says, I have uh, huge giants or a huge giant in my life, and I really need your prayers for strength and courage. You know, uh, when we need help, when we need assistance, when we, God knows our hearts. God knows that giant that John's facing. And it's not even really necessary that we know uh, what that giant is, but that we realize it, that I think we can all relate to it, that we have giants. And, and it's uh, my honor to approach the Lord in prayer on these two men's behalf. Dear Lord, we thank you for the avenue of prayer. We thank you for the opportunity to uh, lean on one another, to uh, 